Hello, and welcome to Who Are You? We're a Babylon 5 watchcast by a couple of former strangers, now friends, who are still getting to know each other over one of their favorite shows from their childhood. I'm Laura. I'm Jafar. And I'm Ben Harrison. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is a hoot. Yeah. I, uh, I I feel bad. I, I just started watching Babylon 5 because I... Um, we're doing. We're watching old pilots for one of my podcasts, Greatest mm-hmm. Trek, and we we just watched the Babylon Five podcast very recently. So, I feel bad that we're not talking about B Five. We're talking about something else today, huh? Yes. In order to get both you and Adam to agree to a Babylon Five podcast many months ago, we had to promise we'd do something else. Uh, but we also <laughs> regularly do this. We take a mid-season break and we pick. One of the actors from the show who has a fun movie bit, and then we'll watch that movie as a way to kind of break up the seasons. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And yeah, got, get a little extra. Yeah, Army of Darkness, which has uh, Patricia Tolman, who is Lita in Babylon 5, not in the episode you watched. But if you watched the movie pilot beforehand on accident, uh, you would have seen I did seen not. That. And then people told me it was good that I didn't because it's bad. It is bad. <laughs> it's not. I great. love this yeah. show, and it's bad. Yeah, made the right decision. But Patricia Tolman is wonderful because they bring her back. So yeah, so she didn't get the stink of the movie on her. No. But before we get to all that, Ben, we've got to ask you, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? Oh man, I ask myself this question every day. Um, well, I uh, I have a couple of Star Trek podcasts. That's where most people know me from. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, K Pod. My first, sure. I, I I used to make a show called K Pod, which was a parody of like Southern California morning radio zoo crew type shows. I don't know. Maybe that'll come back at some point, but. Um, for right now, I just have two Star Trek podcasts, and one of them is The Greatest Generation, where we review old shows like TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. And then the other one is Greatest Trek, which has been covering all the new shows ever since Star Trek Discovery started. So uh, we're currently in a, a big lull because there's like a, a huge long gap in between the most recently aired new Trek thing and the next thing that they'll air. And so we decided to go back and look at our roots a little bit. Some of the uh, the mid to late '90s sci-fi shows that we missed because they weren't Star Trek shows. Yeah. And so we've watched Sequest and Babylon Five and a bunch of other weird ones, and yeah. uh, we'll be releasing those over the course of the next you know ten weeks or so until Discovery comes back for its final season. This episode won't come out on air for like another three or four weeks oh, so okay you can talk about other stuff if you haven't announced yeah. it just don't get i guess too far ahead of yourself i don't know the level of secrecy there if you wanted to talk about any of that yeah well let's see we've only recorded a few of them but we've recorded sliders and Babylon five sequest probably one oh uh the show called space precinct yeah. which was made by the people that did like thunderbirds like the production company was kind of known for their super marionation stuff Hmm. Uh, but they made this live action like cop procedural set in a city that is inhabited by lots of different types of aliens but uh, the main character cop is like a 
an ex NYPD detective and uh yeah the <laughs> it's uh it's a trip like I really wished I liked it more and I'm like kind of curious about it I want to <laughs> I kind of want to watch more episodes of it they only ever made one season of it and like it's nuts but it's like they have such inventive like alien puppets playing most of the alien characters like the it'll it's like heads with full animatronic you know in expressions on actors mm. bodies so the aliens look way weirder than they do in Star Trek generally and i think that's something that i've really enjoyed about the little snips of babylon 5 that i've watched you know the willingness to really go there with a weird alien character design yeah, is, sure. uh, is did you mean to graph the praying mantis alien i don't think so oh oh, oh you're in for a treat a if you one. watch any more he comes up soon <laughs> in the first season if you didn't see him already yeah so. in space precinct or in babylon 5 in babylon 5 okay <laughs> Full although you've mantis. sold me on space precinct i will admit yeah I, it's... I don't know where i can watch it but i'm gonna have to find out it's on. Um, it's on the. I think the Peacock streaming service. Hmm. I. It, I want to say it's on. Yeah, it was like free on one of the on one of the major services. Okay, I will definitely make a point of checking it out. Well, your Babylon Five coverage was a delight. We oh, had a thank great you. time listening. We uh, were not sure if people were going to be mad at us for like not praising it enough or dunking too hard on it, and I feel like we were very honest with how we felt about it, and. I don't know. That's sometimes a scary place to be. I mean, I don't want to say this in a braggadocious manner because it's not something that I'm happy or proud of. But I feel like Laura and I find ourselves around the epicenter of the greatest gen Babylon 5 Venn diagram. Whenever there is a social media post about Babylon 5 in any greatest gen circles, uh -huh. we end up getting tagged in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say... Yeah. I have seen lots of positive things about it. A lot of people thought it was very funny. I'm I'm mad at you in particular for having a better joke than I've come up with in a hundred <laughs> episodes of Babylon Five, which was uh, cosh benefit analysis. I, I oh, had man. a great time with that. Yeah, that was fantastic joke. Well done. I don't remember making it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when case. that when that episode came out, somebody was I couldn't tell. Like I thought that they were like flaming me for not liking Garibaldi enough. And I was like, they were like, I was like, yeah, like I'm pretty sure we said that we thought he was the most likable character in the episode we watched. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh yeah, no, I was being sarcastic. And it was just one of those like, I don't like, I don't know you, man. <laughs> like, I don't know what your sense of humor is. We've never met. Yeah. And... You know, when you release an episode about a beloved sci-fi franchise from the 90s, most of what you get is people being mad at you. So how am I to know that this is not that? Yeah, that's when sure. I knew we made it. When I got our first angry email about me getting some minutia about the station wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, nope, <laughs> we did it. We've arrived. Yeah. yeah. They must not listen to this podcast because we dunk on Garibaldi a lot. A cab all the way well, here. He seemed kind of nice in the first episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get more under your belt, you change your mind. <laughs> okay, interesting. Mm. He's got an arc. I like it. <laughs> yes, that is the one thing that is very true of Babylon 5, is all of the characters have very lengthy arcs, and you will characters you like will turn into terrible genociders, will turn into comedy bits. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. 
Fascinating. So if you feel like it getting back on the roller coaster, maybe give it a shot. Yeah. yeah. I think I did accidentally buy the entire first season when I was trying to buy the first episode, so. There you go. <laughs> if you watch nothing else, Parliament of Dreams is like the third or fourth episode. It's pretty I good. I want to say yeah. it's in the first couple. It's very good. And then Mind War has Chekhov, so yeah. that's fun. Yeah. Right. Walter Koenig is great. That's that's worth yeah. seeing. Yeah. He always delivers. For sure. All well, right. Should we talk about Army of Darkness? We should probably talk about Army of Darkness at some point. Yeah. I feel like there's a certain expectation that we set by saying we're doing an Army of Darkness episode, and I'd yeah. hate to fail to deliver. <laughs> we open in media chain gang. We've got some slaves and POWs as Ash narrates. He believes it's sometime around the year 1300. And then sure. we flash forward, backward. Backward in Ash's time, forward in time. To Ash's life before, we see the S-Mart, and we see the end of Evil Dead 2. Yeah, he's just running us through the plot of the Evil Deads, right? Yeah. I didn't realize that. I knew that this had something to do with the Evil Dead franchise, but I didn't exactly remember what. And I think I've seen all of them over the years, but probably not in order and not close enough in proximity for the connections to be really strong in my mind. And I was mm. like, man, they really, like, this is an awesome opening sequence. Like, this, you know, beats the hell out of the opening crawl in Star Wars for, like, giving context <laughs> for what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all. Really the... shot a lot of footage for this. <laughs> More than Almost two hours two movies, worth. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always forget that the way the title of the movie is presented, it implies that the name of this movie is Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness and not his character. It's explicitly his actor, the actor's name, yeah. Yeah. which I always thought was very funny. Uh, he lands in the past. We see him land along with the the 73 Delta 88, which is Raimi's childhood car. It's in all of his movies. So it always oh. gets a fun little Easter egg. It's got more of a character in this one than most of his others. But yeah, that's neat. Fun little I like bit. It. And he gets got immediately after he lands, catching us up in about five minutes to the plot of a remake of a movie and where we are now. Uh, we get a Middle Ages-style castle of the pop culture variety, which, of course, is nothing what an actual castle would be like. Uh, yeah. But it's fun. The The names of these guys are English, right? Implying that we're supposed to be in England? I'd uh, assume so. I mean, everyone's like a speaking Henry. English. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the environment looks super English, right? Like Vasquez <laughs> yeah. Rocks is the part of California that looks most like... English countryside. <laughs> yeah, you were just there last year, Jafar. You tell me. <laughs> we get a uh, a bunch of kids here that are harassing Ash as Sheila, who uh, is played by Embeth Davids. I think I said that right. Who literally immediately walked off the set here and went on to Schind Schindler's List. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> There was a lot going on in the 90s. Like Her, her ears must have popped when she... <laughs> stepped onto that other set. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going to bring it up. You know, this is another 1993 movie. And mm -hmm. with Adam, we went over The Fugitive, which was also 1993. Uh, oh, fun. Yeah. Why did you give him a good movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're good in different ways, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You're spoiling your feelings for the end. 
the fu- <laughs> the fugitive in the like main way, which is that it's just a good movie. Yeah. Full stop. <laughs> I like seeing Ian Abercrombie, the wise man, in the in this moment. He played Mr. Pitt on Seinfeld. Oh. Uh, he was only fifty eight when they shot right. this. He looks so much older than that. <laughs> wow. I feel like he was just one of those people that, like, I mean, like, Patrick Stewart's kind of the same, right? Like, kind of looked really old when he got into his 30s and then just played the same age for, like, a 45-year span of career. Yeah. That's very true. They get taken to this big metal covered-up hole in the ground, and they open it up as Ash gets some quips in. Uh, They toss a dude in, and... This might be my favorite shot of the whole movie is this full minute of slow zoom in. Yeah. I don't know why this does it for me, but it does. <laughs> this, this movie really makes use of the dramatic pause for comedic effect, I think. Yeah. I was like 15 seconds in, I'm like, come on. 20 seconds in, I'm like, I get it. And by 35 seconds in, I'm laughing hysterically. And then it just doesn't stop until we get all the way in. And the pit turns into a bloody Bellagio fountain show. Will it blend? It will blend. (laughs) (laughs) Sheila throws a rocket ash as he begs for his life, uh, causing him to fall into the pit where he fights a deadite, which is the evil dead term for a zombie. And the wise man who was earlier prophesizing him to be a savior gives him his chainsaw. Were you surprised at what was down at the bottom of this pit, given what happened to the first guy? A little bit, yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. seem like this, like, shrieking maniac that he's in a fist fight with has the power to cause him to spray as a fine mist of <laughs> his former body up, you know, 50 feet in the air. Yeah. yeah. I got, like, I am not, I, I did not do the math, listener, but that has to have been more liquid than possibly a body comprises. <laughs> <laughs> Jafar didn't yeah. do the math? My gosh, you're just the phoning one it time. in. <laughs> he gets his chainsaw, he kills the deadites, and escapes the spike trap. And the uh, crowd is stunned, allowing Henry the Red to escape. This offends the local lord who is set... He has his sword shot in half with a 12-gauge. <laughs> And we get the the famous "This is my boomstick" line. How yeah. where did he get it though? Like, he he lost track of it when uh, when he arrived in this time period. He went down in the hole, and then when he needs to shoot that guy's sword in half, it's just in his hand, right? Oh, it's like there's the not absurd logic. The of wise this movie. man should have thrown it to him, you know? Yeah. Why the chainsaw? Why not the shot? Why not both? <laughs> why yeah. not both? Yeah. <laughs> Por qué no los dos? <laughs> If you had any doubt that this world does not play by any set of rules besides its own, let it be dismissed now. Mm-hmm. We cut over to Ash being fed grapes and hunks of meat. He asks the elders to send him home, but he must quest for the Necronomicon to have the power to do so. Is that not the worst word for a podcaster to have to say? <laughs> Necronomicon or quest? <laughs> Necronomicon. <laughs> It's not a great one to have to enunciate. Yeah. A possession happens in the room, uh, telling him that he can't have the book and will die. And this is Patricia Tallman. This is her role in the movie. She's the, quote, she-bitch 
<laughs> a term that has aged flawlessly. <laughs> Not redundant at all. Oh. Uh, so, so what does she do in B in B five? Is it anything like this? Does she no. scream and tell people that they're cursed? Uh, kind of. Uh, she's the telepath before the blonde that was like trying to get oh, yeah. registered on the station. Uh huh. We met her in the episode we watched. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, in the first, in the pilot, you've got Lita as the uh, resident telepath on the station, and she gets sent away because she sees inside the Vorlon suit, and that messes with her brain. Oh. Yeah. And she comes back a couple seasons yeah. later. She doesn't get any of this, like, loaf or anything, but she has some scary eyes Loafless. at certain points. Yeah. Yeah. We don't get really a lot of stunts out of her, which is a shame, because she's a very accomplished stunt woman. Yes, I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, yeah she, uh, she's in TNG, out of loaf. She's just a crewman in the background a couple of times, but she's done a ton of stunt work. Yeah. Wasn't she Gates McFadden's stunt double for one of the movies? Yeah. First Contact, maybe? I think so. Maybe it was Insurrection, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I see here she was also in uh, Atlas Shrugged Part oh, 2. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a living. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> No accounting for taste, I guess. <laughs> this is not a pro oh. Atlas Shrugged podcast. <laughs> no. No, it is not. For that, you're going to want to go over to The Greatest Generation. <laughs> Just... And there's our sound bite. Okay. <laughs> Ash uh, kills the witch and gets a pneumatic artificial hand and then goes on his quest I couldn't believe how quickly they figured that out, by the yeah. way. The... Yeah, he gets to insult uh, Sheila a little bit because she doesn't know about molecular structures or yeah. whatever makes up that hand. Yeah. Yeah. He's negging Sheila, and it is. It, really, it works. It does she, work, and it is she, really. She is upsetting. there for it when he plants the kiss on her. Yeah, that always works. Uh. <laughs> mm. 10 times out of 10 in. Army of Darkness, <laughs> it works. Uh, they ride out in the morning, and he learns the words before riding to the graveyard alone. Mm. There were air quotes on that. Uh, yes. We get the Evil Dead running through the woods first person shot, which is in all of the other movies as well. Okay. It's a fun sequence. Uh it's a fun yeah. sequence. It felt a lot more impressive when you knew Sam Raimi was doing it on a student film budget in the first Evil Dead. It kind of feels, I don't want to say tired, but it definitely is just like, oh, we're doing the thing this time instead of the novelty of seeing it the first time, I suppose. Yeah, so like not having seen an Evil Dead thing in a long time, like I've definitely seen this technique before, but Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't tell like why it was happening or what he was running from. And a couple of times they cut to wide enough shots that you should be able to see whatever he's running from and it's mm-hmm. nothing. Yes. So is he just running from like a sense of dread, do you think? Yes. That's okay. exactly it. It yeah, it, I was I mean this movie clips along. It's a tight like hour and 20 minutes and yeah. uh and I was like I guess this is happening yep. now. <laughs> <laughs> That's this movie in a yep. nutshell. Ashes chase to the windmill. He notices his reflection changing and shatters the mirror, causing many miniature versions of him to come out of the reflection instead of the big, normal-sized one that we were expecting. They stab him in the butt with a fork. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
They try to shoot him. They tie him up. It's some real Lilliputian shit, Three Stooges style going on here. These special effects are some of the best in the movie, by the way. Like the little guys running around, you know, against a a background of giant, you know, table legs and and tankards and stuff. (laughs) It it looked so great. Like just the moment when they step out of the the shards was really beautifully executed, I thought. Yeah. I mean, like carrying it all the way through to him fighting a dummy that they just like strapped to him that's like supposed to look a bit like him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was, this is by far my favorite part of the movie yeah this at yeah. this point i yeah. realized that we just made this movie for bruce campbell like this is just for him to have a good yeah. time this whole movie yeah yeah he just starts he starts fighting his doppelganger that's grown out of his shoulder because every now and then i kick the living shit out of me have have you ever seen the movie how to get ahead in advertising i can't say that i have it's a movie starring uh, Richard E. Grant as like an ad executive in London who is like trying to come up with an ad campaign for cream that is used to treat boils. And over the course of the movie, he has like a, a pimple on his neck turn into a boil and then start to like turn into a little animatronic head. And eventually <laughs> it becomes evil him. And it it was it's just like a, you know, this scene set in a modern context <laughs> but uh yeah i thought i thought it was really great yeah. it's on criterion channel right now oh neat all right if you want to watch a weird one always if you didn't get enough of humans dividing <laughs> uh <laughs> like... monocellularly yeah, or whatever yeah. mitosis is that the right term for that sure <laughs> this is the wrong audience to ask that question to i mean i'm our listeners probably but specifically laura and yeah. i yeah what would what would a Babylon Five audience know about asexual reproduction? <laughs> so I'm sure one of our listeners in our Discord will give us the answer. Yeah, I just did the heel turn, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> RSVP my mentions. <laughs> Evil Ash uh, splits off completely, but he's too preoccupied talking shit to do anything. And uh, guy with the gun, Ash, takes him out. Evil Ash gets chopped up and buried, and we ride onward to the graveyard. When he makes his way to the pedestal, he finds three books waiting for him. He picks wrong the first time, and he gets the Mr. Fantastic treatment, stretching out his body, contorting him variously. The second book attacks him, and he messes up the Klaatu Barada Niktu as a storm arrives instantly. He chose... He should have rewatched the day the earth stood still before going on his quest. I caught the Klaatu part, and then my husband pointed out that was the whole thing. (laughs) Yep, Ash gets harassed by some skeletons, mostly underground, but manages to escape with the book. Evil Ash then reconstitutes, mostly, as Ash approaches the castle. We learn he's awoken the army of the dead. He's only interested in going home, but they need him to help save them. On cue, a flying deadite shows up and kidnaps Sheila. After this, we see evil Ash commanding skeletons and forcing himself on Sheila, while Ash Mm -hmm. rallies the humans at the castle to fight the dead. Yeah, he uh, specifically uses Ash's line, give Mm -hmm. me some sugar, baby. Ugh. (laughs) So gross. Yes, it is. 
bad. <laughs> Sheila has been converted to evil. Ash teaches the elders how to make gunpowder. And everyone else some spear fighting basics. Hey. Yeah. I know a thing or two about spear fighting. Do you really? I teach 14th century spear fighting, yes. Okay, so this is like a couple hundred years off, but like, how did you rank this? Well, there's a reason that you give peasants spears. It's stick the pointy <laughs> end in the other dude. It's a very hard weapon to fuck up. Uh, you can use them with very basic training. So as far as weapon choices to train a bunch of people to fight quickly, A plus, you made the right move. I did note that they put ribbons on the spears and that the spear staves are too thick for that. Uh, ribbons <laughs> typically go on Chinese-style spears for wushu fighting, uh, which is not an actual form of combat. Wushu was meant to be uh, performative, and you'd put your best wushu people out in front of your actual army, and then they'd fight each other to scare the other army, like, look how badass we are, right? And so it was meant Whoa. to kind of be a distraction, the, the, it's for very bendy spears so that the ribbon swirls around and makes it so you can't figure out where the spearhead is. And these are very stiff spears, so you wouldn't put ribbons on them because they don't do anything besides get in the way. Hmm. Oh. So this is like probably the one historical inaccuracy in the film. Oh, for sure. I've picked <laughs> the one thing. <laughs> well, we got to make this battle look good, guys. Need yep. some ribbons on it. The Dead March, complete with bone flutes. Skull timpanies and some bagpipes. Yeah, that's a nice touch, right? I loved this. It's so dumb. I love it. Is this the point that it's Danny Elfman's music? The March of the Dead, I believe, was written by Danny Elfman in this. Oh, I was not paying attention to the end credits to notice that. <laughs> it's definitely his style. I mean, he's he's all over yeah. it. And uh, another movie that came out in 1993, apparently, is Nightmare Before Christmas, also Danny Elfman. Yeah. Well, maybe we should start a movies that came out in 1993 <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's the next one, right? Right. Yeah. Let, let us get through Babylon 5 and Battlestar Galactica, and then yeah. we'll talk about it. Sure. The castle pops up defenses and raises the drawbridge, and the raid begins. Uh, the barricades are destroyed by arrows with gunpowder attached. We get some catapults. I love all of the skeletons freaking out and screaming. Yeah. This is so much fun. <laughs> props props, and special effects are having a lot of fun in this movie. For sure. The batting ram makes it to the gate. And this is, if I might, in honor of our guest here, declare a drunk Shimoda. Sh okay. Should I be allowed? Yeah, I mean, like, you can, um, you know, run your own risks, legally speaking. Fair enough. Uh, I have to give it to the guy on the human side of the gate who, when <laughs> they buttress the gate to stop the battering ram just yells buttress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was good stuff. Yeah. I loved all the, the way they did the crowds of skeletons stuff. Cause mm -hmm. clearly the background actors are just guys in like raggedy clothes with, you know, skull hats on basically. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, like the camera is always like panning down. So you get off in the distance you know, if you're looking really close, you can see that it's just guys in rags and, and skull hats. But then when the camera comes down to eye level, it's all puppets in front. And I thought they did a really good job of kind of blending it into the background. Like th they are less and less puppety the further they are from the camera. But mm -hmm. it gives this sense that they are all running, you know, in unison. 
Yeah, I really liked the puppets. The dead make it into the castle, but Ash has repurposed the Delta 88 into a tank with, like, helicopter blades on the front. (laughs) This thing is so dangerous. Like, the special effects team that built this, I mean, good job, but also, like, you're crazy for this one. (laughs) Because the amount of danger that they subjected everyone on set to with this thing driving around is just staggering. <laughs> Somebody had to have gotten hurt on this movie, right? Uh, no OSHA violations detected, right? Got to just sweep those under the rug. Sheila's arrival causes Ash to wreck the tank and then attacks Ash, but he kicks her into the pit from the start of the movie. Harry the Red's forces arrive as Evil Ash makes his way to the Necronomicon, who Ash makes his way to as well. Sheila comes back before Ash can fight his doppelganger again, throwing her over the parapet. The two Bruces fight up a staircase, a backstab, some burning, working their way back down. A catapult gunpowder bag catches on to evil Ash, who makes like Team Rocket. And we have a victory for the humans as the remaining dead run for their lives. They're on lives. Yeah, what are they afraid of? (laughs) (laughs) maybe hear me out death is a meaningless pit of nothingness and this was their only reprieve could be too much so bad at this i never know where the line is i'm sorry (laughs) sheila is returned to normal and embraces ash the two human factions no longer united against annihilation line up to fight uh, but their leaders get them to join together Ash returns to his time, uh, but fucked up the words again, turning Dearborn into Deadborn as the S-Mart is attacked by Deadites. Ash fights them off with the accuracy of a stormtrooper, but wins in the end. Hail to the king, to credits. At least assuming that you watch the director's cut of the movie. Otherwise, what happens is he takes too many drips of the potion and wakes up in a post-apocalypse far future. Is that real? There's a, yeah. there's an alternate ending? Yeah. Oh, man. Fun. But then you don't get to see all those crazy flips inside the uh, the big box retail environment. Yes, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. That, that stunt person is like danger close to the drop tile ceiling. <laughs> Doing those flips. I'm pretty sure it's Patricia Tallman again that she shows back up as the oh, that's second. that's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can... Bite at the apple. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the film. It goes quick. We covered that in 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, that was record time. I I recap a lot of things for a living, and uh, I've never done it that fast. Nicely executed. Um. Uh, I'm dying to know what you thought, Ben. I mean, I I think this is a very fun movie. It's no The Fugitive, but it's so fun to see all these like practical effects and the stop motion, and they do such a great job like mixing rear projection stop motion stuff with you know practical stuff, and you know sometimes you can tell they're just throwing a rubber skeleton at <laughs> Bruce Campbell from off screen for him to <laughs> pretend to wrestle. But I mean. From a technical standpoint, all all of this is tricky stuff to do. I guess I, if I had like a central critique of it, coming to this pretty 
pretty much not remembering anything about what happens in either of the previous two films. I didn't feel like I got much to hang my hat on characterize with with Ash. Like, Mm. he is just saying quips and kicking butts and kissing babes and... Like, all of it feels totally unmotivated. <laughs> this, and, that, like, maybe they build this guy up to the point where you're just like, yeah, like, when a girl meets him, she has no choice but to want to kiss him. And that's just the world he moves through. But I wasn't there for it. So, like, when he started kissing the lady in the castle, I was like, what? Since when? Like, yeah. she has only wanted to kill him up until now. <laughs> yeah. I noted that half of the problems in this movie he caused right he smashes the mirror and makes the whole bunch of little ashes and um, he screws up the words it's like man if he uh, had you know a little more common sense or maybe less bravado or something there wouldn't be a movie here and i don't remember exactly the ending of evil dead 2 but i think that's his fault as well ending up in the past (laughs) in the first place yeah so that tracks. Yeah, it is okay. a lot of suffering of his own machinations, for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. But Bruce Campbell looks hilarious doing it throughout yeah. the whole movie. Like, this man has facial expressions. He's got moves, you know, when he has to fight himself and fight his head coming off of his shoulder. Uh, <laughs> all very good, very fun. If you had to maybe pick a little drunk Shimoda, do you have one in you? Oh, man. Um, I liked the lady at the store at the end who was intrigued by the the story he tells about almost becoming king in an ancient land. <laughs> I don't. I, so, again, like I don't remember if they do any stuff at the store that he works at in either of the Evil Dead films. But the fact that this ends up back there at the end of this movie, like... I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, definitely wanted to know what happened there. <laughs> and uh, the idea that, um, I don't know, I she seemed like she also worked there. So, like, the idea that you have a co-worker who's just, like, around the job all the time, and he's like, yeah, like, back in the day, I did have this crazy adventure where I almost became king of a medieval <laughs> village in Southern California. And the idea that she would be, like, attracted to that guy and want to hear more felt felt like a i want to know about her (laughs) like where's her movie she seems like the most interesting character in this whole thing (laughs) all right i guess do we have anything else well lord did you have a drunk shimoto oh oh gosh i can only give it to bruce campbell i mean yes he's having a ton of fun in this movie and it sounded like i don't know i did do a little research that's not really our thing on the show but uh, it yeah. sounded like this movie was a big pain in the ass to get out, like to get it finished and done. It sounded mm. like there were reshoots and, you know, like Jafar mentioned, there was that alternate ending. I believe the director was forced to change from that ending because the studio mm. didn't like that it was kind of a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just leaving the door open for the next movie, right? But yeah, the studio wanted a happy ending. So it sounded like... Yeah. Bruce Campbell actually did a lot of like legwork to try to get it out. And it was supposed to have been out in 92, but it wasn't. I mean, he had a great time filming this and it sounds like it was hard after that. And he put in a lot of work. So I'll give it to him. He really seems like an actor that 
didn't get his flowers until like way late in his career. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And and I th- I feel like it's kind of now like one of the beloved elder statesmen of genre movies and television, but yeah, definitely. Like had probably had like a low period where you know I don't know. Kind of seems like he uh, he didn't work that much. So in between this and Bubba Hotep, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But nice to see him again. Boy, what a jawline on that guy. Right. And they can do some hair on him because they definitely moosed him up and gave him a little like front curl when he's an mm-hmm. S-mart. I was like, man, he's just got it all. Got the hairline, got the jawline. Yeah. It's, it's alluring scars on his face, you know. <laughs> Ash can get it. Yep. I almost had a face scar. I ever tell you that story, Laura? I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, when I was maybe 11, I got a big cut on my face from something just like right down the side of my cheek. Mm. And That would have been the cool was, one too. Yeah. My dad was like, son, this is going to sound ridiculous and your mother's going to hate me for it. But you have to salt that. You have to make that <laughs> scar over. It's going to be the coolest scar. You'll want it the rest of your life. You'll always regret it. And sure enough, my mom was just flippant about it. Just like, what are you doing? Just lost, lost, is very upset at my dad about his suggestion to me there. But he was right. It would have been a really cool scar. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this anecdote with my wife just in case our young son ever gets a scar. Um, <laughs> yeah, he should. <laughs> yeah. Something to plan for, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just have that in the back pocket. It's like, oh, if you like it so much, a little salt <laughs> in that wound will make sure it lasts. All right. Well, with that, next week we return to Babylon 5. We've got Season 5, Episode 12, The Ragged Edge. I guess guess cover your ears for spoilers. Uh, (laughs) I won't remember any of this. It's okay. Um, (laughs) Garibaldi is set to retrieve a witness to the shipping line attacks on the Drazi homeworld. Jakar returns to the station and learns uh, he is a revered religious figure because of his books that have published. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. That's what you always want. You want to surprise your revered religious, religious figure. figure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gone well for everyone in history. Mm-hmm. Never once has a revered religious figure suffered terrible fate because of that. I'm not the Messiah. I say you are Lord, and I should know I followed a few. So, yeah. Very excited fine. for him. Yeah. Yeah, no martyrs in religion, famously. How many seasons of Babylon 5 did they make? Five. Oh, okay. So you guys are, is is the show almost over? Yeah, we have, Mm -hmm. this is the halfway point of season five for us. So we've got another 12 episodes of season five after this. And then there's a couple made for TV movies we're going to do. Oh, are they better than the pilot? No. Well, yeah, than the pilot, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I hope. Uh, I don't know one of them one of them's real good. bad. <laughs> um well I think we already watched the really bad one. Um but and then there was a spin-off show that ran for like 10 episodes before it got canceled. Oh. Wow. So, we've got a little bit ahead of us still. Yeah. I've never actually seen the spin-off show, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> I have to get it to you cuz yeah. there's I don't think you're legally able to watch it anyway. So. Yeah. Wow. I don't think it has a great reputation. It definitely <laughs> earned that. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, Ben, I think if you made it as far as Mind War, that's only episode six in season one. And you get to see some classic Walter Koenig. And I think he has said that he had a lot of fun doing his character because it was so different from what he does in Star Trek. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll definitely give some consideration. You know, I don't have a ton of free time to watch shows that just I want to watch now that I have a toddler. Yeah, uh, that's real. If something, you know, if I get sick, you know, like I, I get COVID and I have to live in my office for a week. It's on. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, with that, all that's left is to say thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. This has been a little slice of heaven. Um, good luck with the back half of uh, of Babylon 5. Thank you. And uh, I hope you guys uh, have uh, great ideas for where to go next with your show. Yeah. yeah. We're going to hit Battlestar Galactica after that, so. Oh, man. Sorry. I can't help you with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You want to plug all your stuff one more time? Oh, sure. Yeah. So my shows are The Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and they're both on the Maximum Fun Network. If you type gach.biz into a browser, (laughs) I think that'll take you to The Greatest Generation. And if you don't know how to spell gach, like, are you even a real Star Trek fan? So. <laughs> that hits twice as hard on the Babylon 5 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We really Thank appreciate you. you taking the time out and uh, getting to hang out with us. Uh, as we told Adam, uh, without your podcast, our podcast would not exist. It's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you uh, indirectly introduced Laura and I and led to all this so thank you so much for that we really appreciate that and how much the greatest gen community has enriched both of our lives yeah oh it's it's entirely our pleasure and not something we really feel we can take much credit for that's a a great community of people that we also feel lucky to be a part of yeah you guys put out a really healthy vibe and uh it just grew into a great community we love it thank you so much for having me gang And while we're at it, thank you, Jeremy Siegel, for composing our theme music. You can find more of Jeremy's work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service as Nuclear Jaguar. And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. Aaron, thanks for editing this podcast and making us sound coherent. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you to you, the listener, for being here with us. We appreciate your time. And, you know, if you want to bring the conversation forward you can get on our discord that's the who are you discord and you can get that at who are you b5 at gmail.com see you next week internet <laughs>